0: This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
1: Gracious and loving God, We thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. On today's edition of Sons of Melchizedek, Gordon Smith talks with Father John Halliwell, Pastor of Annunciation Parish in Brazil, Indiana, as well as St. Paul's Catholic Church in Greencastle.
0: Welcome, Father Hollowell. What parish are you currently assigned to? Tell us about uh, your ordination. How long have you been ordained?
1: Yeah, so my current assignment is Annunciation Catholic Church in Brazil, Indiana, and then also St. Paul's Catholic Church in Greencastle, Indiana. And then I also am the Catholic chaplain to the Putnamville Correctional Facility. And then I oversee the Catholic ministry. Uh, to the students of DePaul University.
0: That is a very uh, broad ministry that you you serve there. I mean, prisoners in a state facility, a liberal arts private college, uh, you get your share of woke stuff coming from the students, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, But you also can serve the needs of those that are incarcerated. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. I know you're from Indianapolis and on the south side. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm the oldest of 11 children, and uh, my parents are Joe and Diane Hollowell. And uh, yeah, I was homeschooled early on, and then I went to Nativity Catholic uh, school. um, And then I went on to Roncalli High School, um, where my dad uh, was the dean and principal and president and then just retired uh, a couple of years ago. And yeah, so a uh, big Catholic family, strong Catholic family. Um, that's basically my upbringing.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the priesthood?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I never missed a mass, uh, on Sunday throughout college. Um, but I would say actually providentially, I, in my sophomore year of college, I came up here to DePauw and participated in a Bible study on a random Wednesday night, and um, I saw somebody praying at Dupont uh, who looked like me, and, and but you know I just knew that he had something that I didn't, and so that then set me on a course where I made a commitment to read a chapter of the Bible or the Gospels each night, and so as I started to do that, I heard over and over the call to be be a priest, and so uh, that was that's basically the long and short of it, so.
0: So it happened while you are in college, but you had a strong Catholic upbringing. Um, was your brother ahead of you or behind you in that calling?
1: Um, I'm the oldest, so yeah, he was behind me, yeah.
0: As far as uh, your vocation, though, did he join first or did you join? Uh, I joined first, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily work that way, that we have priests in the Lafayette Diocese where it's just the opposite. Yeah, so, yes. Um, tell us about what, what changed in your life once you made that, that decision to go into seminary, into priesthood. Tell us about what that extra little thing was that you saw that you wanted to achieve for yourself.
1: Well, I was at Hanover, and I got—I finished at Hanover and got a math degree, and then also a secondary uh, teaching degree. And so I did that actually at Bishop Chatard. Uh, high school for two years. I taught math there and coached football and track. And, um, but the, when I started at Chittard, they, I told everybody, you know, I'm going to do this for two years and then go to the seminary. Cause I just felt like I needed to get out of college, you know, and, and not go straight into another college setting. And so, um, got some real world experience and I'm very thankful for that. And, um, and then after those two years, I went to St. Minor. So yeah, it was a I think that the seminary is a lot um, lighter, I guess. Uh, There's a lot more that happens that it's not just, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around praying. Um, It is that, um, but there's a lot more to it than that.
0: Tell us some of the challenges you face. Now,
1: we are aware that
0: you have had some challenges in your illness. Yeah. yeah. this is something you've sort of dedicated your life to and, to the Lord. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you medically. And uh, if that doesn't in, uh, get too far into the weeds there, I just want to know how you're doing.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with a brain tumor in uh, early 2020. And um, almost the moment I had made a prayer a couple of years earlier when I was doing Exodus 90, um, I woke up one morning and just said, you know, if there's because that was when the 2018 the priest abuse crisis kind of reared its ugly head again and particularly with cardinal mccarrick um at that point point. and so i delivered some fiery homilies about that and um i remember making a prayer pretty shortly after that when i was doing exodus 90 that if there is something that i could suffer for the victims i would do that willingly and so about two years later when i actually got the diagnosis of a brain tumor up at mayo clinic I, I just remember thinking the moment that I heard that, I, I went my mind instantly went back to that prayer that I had made and i I just knew that this was a prayer that i i i I wasn't imagining a brain tumor, um, but I knew instantly that this was something that God was answering, that I was gonna be carrying the cross and on behalf of um, and suffering for all the people. Uh, who experienced cler- Catholic clergy? Well, thank you abuse. for that sacrifice. We're so grateful that you are
0: able to do this, and um, it is a cross that you bear. But I can tell you're bearing it with um, humility and and joy. Yeah. So
1: yeah, I, I just saw Father Stu, and um, you know the. Um, one of the, the, the actual father stew, the, the credits roll. And then there's an, the, there's interviews from the actual father stew. And he just, you know, he talked about his suffering and his disease was the greatest gift of his life. And I, I think in some ways, like, I feel that same way about this tumor. And, um, it's, it's just brought a whole lot of graces to me in addition to the grace is, I mean, I, I still get contacted by victims once a week or so. Sometimes they are, you know, victims whose names I brought into me with the Mayo Clinic. Sometimes they're totally new uh, victims. Um, and a lot of victims also commit suicide. And so I've been been offering that up and praying for all of them daily, um, whether they're living or deceased. And, and um, yeah, that's... So, and then... The, so that, that's been a great grace, but then it's also had a lot of, you know, just, I, I, again, I, I think it's the greatest gift that God could ever give to me is this, it's, it's his way of kind of waking me up and pointing me, has been his way of pointing me to what is most important and kind of allowing me to, you know, push to the side all those things that were in the, at the end of the day, you know, just distractions.
0: We're talking to Father John Hollowell today from the Indy Archdiocese, and he is. We're talking to him from his church in Saint Paul the Apostle in Greencastle, Indiana. Um, Father, tell us about um, your ministry to folks that are suffering from gender dysphoria.
1: Yeah, I'm. I haven't had a lot of interaction with that community uh, other than just I gave a talk um, about four or five years ago down in Cincinnati um, to uh, a group, you know, a conference of Catholic educators and and religious leaders on um, aspects of gender dysphoria. And it was basically the talk that I gave was based on a documentary that I had done early on in my priesthood about the Catholic Church's teaching on homosexuality called The Third Way. And so basically the point of the third way is that, you know, um, they're, they're people with same sex attraction, obviously. And so we started with their stories. We actually went out and interviewed these people who st- were same sex attracted, but still chose to stay Catholic. And, um, and, and so the point of that movie or documentary was that, you know, everybody has a story and they're not all lumped in any s- sort of specific category um and then so the same thing then was the point of my talk about you know gender dysphoria 5 or 6 years ago was just that okay so this person you know is has this issue it's not about solving a problem it's about talking to that person as an individual and as a person just like Jesus would right and, Amen. and so, yeah um and, and so i think everything i think a lot of times even in the catholic church i think there's a temptation uh to Um, label people. Um, And the point of the third way documentary that I did with, you know, some uh, Catholic film company, and then also the the gender dysphoria people, um, to just treat each person as an individual and to just listen to their story, right? And that's what Jesus did. And um, so that's been my approach.
0: It seems to me that some people that... Uh, would suffer from that or homosexuality? Either one, they're sort of connected. Um, more than anything, even beyond acting out, would be that they are just lonely and they want somebody to talk to them and communicate with them. Right?
1: So yeah. I think
0: that's the point you're trying to make.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: What do you value the most about our Catholic faith?
1: I would say the Eucharist. Um, yeah, I think it's this—you know—it's the source and summit of our of our faith and it's jesus really present um and uh in his body blood soul and divinity and so um i remember uh early on in the seminary at st minard i attended my first holy hour and um, that was a really powerful experience and i've i've done one every day since um at least one um holy hour you know just an hour in front of the blessed sacrament and um yeah, I've made that you know an emphasis of my priesthood. I celebrate Mass every day, even my day away from the parishes, and um, so yeah, I, I, I think that that and then also you know the sac hearing confessions, those are the two sacraments that only priests and bishops can do, and um, so um, those 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 are the central. Graces, I think, of that of my priesthood.
0: So the Holy Eucharist um, is also a subject of uh, some recent polling, uh, and we have a large number of Catholics that um, don't believe that that is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord.
1: Yeah, yeah. So a- after each weekend Mass at both of my parishes, there's a prayer on the front of our uh, worship. You know, So we have basically a a pamphlet that has all the words of the Mass and then the music that we sing at each Mass. And um, on the front, there is actually two optional prayers that anybody who wants to stick around, we pray right after Mass. And the first one, well, the second one is St. Michael, the Archangel. But then the first one just talks about that. Uh, You know, there's a lot of Catholics who either do not know or do not believe that... The bread and wine become Jesus's literal body, blood, soul, and divinity, and we pray that there may be a reawakening to Christ's presence in the Eucharist, as He dwells truly present in all the tabernacles around the world. And so that's all. That's been a prayer that we've been praying for seven, six or seven years here, after each weekend mass, for anybody that wants to stick around.
0: Thank you for doing that. That is yeah. so important. So would that be your number one go-to prayer, or do you have another prayer that is your go-to prayer?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think St. Michael the Archangel um, is, is probably a go to. I mean, I will also pray with the rosary every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is also a great weapon and, and prayer. So for these people that don't believe in the Eucharist,
0: um, it's, you know, in a way of thinking, it's they don't believe in God. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his
1: story on how Catholic radio influenced his vocation.
0: I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen
1: to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio, building faith, building vocations. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. On today's edition of Sons of Melchizedek, Gordon Smith talks with Father John Halliwell, pastor of Annunciation Parish in Brazil, Indiana, as well as St. Paul's Catholic Church in Greencastle.
0: Tell, tell me how you believe in God. What causes you to believe in God?
1: Well, I, I, th- I think everybody, you know, I've had some really powerful, you know, experiences and visions uh, along the way, um, one or two in particular. And I think everybody has those. Um, I, th- I think everybody, even Catholics and non-Catholics, everybody has some moment where they experience a profound joy and know that something mystical is happening. But I think a lot of people that have that eventually, you know, that when that, that inevitably fades. So for me, it was a really profound moment for about 24 hours, and then it still lingered for about a week. And so, um, but when that finally faded, I thought, you know, for about two years, I thought, you know, what did I do wrong? You know, why did God leave me? I was such so happy, you know, and, uh, then, so when I got into the seminary, I picked up St. John of the cross and then read him for the next five years, um, about three or four pages a day. And he just really had this awesome take on, you know, religious experiences in that, um, basically you know if we get them then we thank god for them but that when they fade as they almost certainly do then we shouldn't try to recreate that and we shouldn't try to we shouldn't pray for mystical experiences um and because if god gave them to us uh you know on command um then we would maybe start to think that you know we were uh you know we were god or something like that so St. John of the Cross and, and St. Teresa of Avila really helped me kind of have an understanding, a greater understanding of that so that eventually I was able to realize I didn't do anything wrong. God was just, God just, that's typically how we, how he works. You know, he'll come and give some mystical experience for a day or two or a week. And then, you know, that was, you know, just as one other example, Mother Teresa had a really profound experience uh, where, you know, she saw Jesus, and Jesus told her to start a religious order, and, but then Mother Teresa basically didn't hear from Jesus for another 50 years, although she did two holy hours every day, and, and, um, you know, at some point she thought she was going to hell, um, so anyway, there's, I think a lot of people struggle with that, and knowing that, um, you know, why don't I always have mystical experiences if God's around, and I think that the, the main thing that I would say, again, just re-echoing St. John of the Cross and Saint Jesus of Avila, is that when we have mystical experiences, we should be thankful for them, but we, we should never desire them.
0: Right, right. And, and I it, think a lot
1: of people think that if they don't have it, if they don't feel it at Mass when they come, then, then it's not real. And I think that that's totally wrong. You know, I think like if you, if you come to Mass and you have one, a mystical experience. Um, thank God for that. But ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the time that I celebrate Mass, I feel nothing, and I still believe.
0: Well, just as Jesus hides in the Eucharist uh, under the appearance of bread and wine, um, sometimes he's hidden from us, from right. our vision. So, right, but he's there. We know he's there. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about parents. I want to know about your parents because if there are parents listening today what are things that they can do to encourage their children to end up where you are
1: yeah well i think my parents did uh, an awesome job of you know not forcing the priesthood on anyone um and in fact so when i got ordained a lot of people in my home parish came up and you know said to my mom and dad you know well congratulations on your son getting ordained a priest. And my parents would always say, we're proud of all of our children, um, which I think is really important. And I think that they never forced it on anyone. They just said, I remember specifically one family meeting. We had a family meeting, I think every Sunday night. And one family meeting, I remember my parents just saying, if any of you feel the call to the priesthood or religious life, just know that we would support you. And I think that some parents probably try too hard uh, to encourage their children. The, the one non-negotiable in my house, uh, growing up was that we went to Sunday mass and, um, and, and so, or Saturday night mass. And so I think that, you know, making that a non-negotiable, I think some parents don't do that enough. So some parents are like, you know, I let my kid choose at 16 or 15 or 14, whether or not they want to go to mass. I would say, you know, if they're living under your roof make them go to mass, you know, that just make that a non-negotiable. And then, but then other than that, just let your children or your child know that if they chose to become a priest or religious, that you would support them. Because I think some parents also take it too far, you know, like there's... Hit you you over the
0: head with a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. That usually doesn't work out too well. Yeah. So what age would that be? Seems like you might see a vocation in a child maybe while they're in grade school. Uh, but that's too young to really do much about it other than encourage them. So, yeah. And your your calling didn't come until college. Right. So what, what is the proper age to encourage?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you can never start too early. Um, I, I know there are some people who feel the call uh, in grade school or, you know, earlier than that even. Um, but I would just say to... You know, not to not force it too hard, but just to kind of let it play out. Um, and then um, I, I, you know, I think in this culture, uh, a lot of times the, the decision to become a priest is made in, in high school or college. Uh, but, you know, there are some high school seminaries opening back up. So some people uh, might feel the call and might be really ready to go to seminary even at, in high school uh I know for me um uh I, I I was not ready uh when I left high school and I wasn't even ready when I left college but after a couple of years of teaching I felt ready to enter so I think a lot of people m- maybe need some life experience but then there are other people who know and are, make great priests when they're 13 so um yeah it just I think it depends on the person but I would say overall in this culture um I think most of the vocations are discerned at some point in high school or college.
0: Awesome. Tell, tell me if they're in our audience, if there are things that people can do or not do to make life in the parish for you easier.
1: Well, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my saying as a priest is just, I want things going on in the parish that I don't even know about. Um, and, uh, so I think, a sign of a healthy parish is that there's just a lot of different activities going on and and a lot of different people pitching in to make those happen. And, um, so not that I actually don't want to know about them. Um, I do as the pastor need to be in charge and, and make sure that everything is, you know, Orthodox Catholic teaching and stuff, but just the general, you know activities and and gatherings of families and stuff and and even outside of, of the parish setting, just in people's homes, parishioners getting together. That's also a really a, a big goal of mine, and I think a lot of priests love to see that when when families are just getting together outside of mass and without the priest, you know, uh, just for dinners and meals and stuff together, and growing those small communities amongst the larger parish. As well, so so
0: that makes your life easier if if people are on autopilot, so to speak, and you can guide.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yep.
0: Good. Um, one of the things that happened during the COVID crisis was that many parishes did their masses online, uh, taped them or live streamed them, and one of the things that became of that was it brought. We all had to figure out how to put the YouTube up onto our big screen at home, yeah. and, um, and then that seemed to bring in other types of programming, other YouTube features, and um, I've seen some of your YouTubes that way that yeah. I never would have been exposed to otherwise, so thank you for that. Um, do you have anything to say to the people? Some, some of the things that are out there can be a little extreme. Yeah. And, how can we guide this church, this if it's even within our power, yeah. uh, to down and keep it in between the stripes, so they say?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. So, and interestingly enough, I had my first brain surgery up at Mayo Clinic. Um, I think it was, um, let's see, March thirteenth, and uh, and then March fifteenth. So, my first memories of waking up out of that. Um, I was basically, you know, asleep for, I couldn't move the right side of my body for the first five days, which was all expected. And in this the, is
0: 2020.
1: Yes. Yes. March of 2020. So as I'm waking up out of the, you know, from the brain surgery, the next five days, I just, my only memories are basically nurses coming in and telling my parents the visiting hours were changing because of COVID. And, and so basically my original plan was that there were, we, we had mapped out for our parishes know 10 weekends of visiting priests and the only time that actually happened was that very first weekend and then everything shut down so once i realized that everything had shut down my focus became basically getting back you know and saying mass as quickly as possible because my i knew that my people were not able to have mass and so i actually was able to celebrate my first mass on the feast of annunciation uh, which was march 25th and um yeah, so and then I continued to do that up at up at the Mayo Clinic and then um celebrated mass every day uh, online and um yeah, that was you know again that was just a, a great grace uh, of social media, you know, to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, eventually I just you know realized I it got too too much and and sure? Yeah, so I, d- I did it through um you know, I I did it, I I guess, through Easter and then, yeah, there were some other surgeries that, emergency surgeries and stuff like that. So eventually, long story short, I I eventually got off, but it was a great grace during COVID to have those social media masses.
0: Right, right. That was, that was a a lifesaver, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're talking today to Father John Hollowell, priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, Okay, thank you so much, Father Hollowell, for your time today, for your vocation. We want to know, we want you to know that we pray for you daily, in my daily prayers and the prayers of our listeners at Catholic Radio Indy. And we want to see you uh, have a long life and uh, a happy ministry. And thank you so much for your ministry. Amen. May thank God you. God bless you.
1: Thanks. You've been listening to
0: a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy.